0: I guess I what what do you consider is like a grapefruit too much work for you, Andy? Well, I just, certainly uh, the work to reward ratio for a grapefruit. What do you <laughs> mean is <laughs> come off in my opinion? Um, <laughs> grapefruits are number one fruit, no question. <laughs> That's, That's incorrect. So but so uh, crazy for you to say that grapefruit <laughs> number one,
1: no question.
2: Grapefruits are your number one fruit, Colin. Yeah, or? absolutely. Wow. Okay. Yeah. that grapefruit, is a unique one.
1: I mean, the juice alone. Okay, is worthy.
3: But yeah. I mean, I have in the past called you a continental breakfast ass, and you have to be more correct than I am right now. It's, it's the little things. Yeah. Right. Have you ever
0: gotten grapefruit juice in your eye when you're trying to eat a grapefruit? The uh, famous, no. <laughs> the famous uh, peril of a
1: grapefruit. I, I guess so. Is, I mean, that's any citrus. The juice goes everywhere.
2: I have a, um, uh, I have a loquat tree in my backyard. Do whoa. you know what a loquat is?
1: I'm
4: mildly, no.
1: but please sounds like a yeah, kumquat. I know
2: it is. It is actually in the stone fruit, in like the apricot family.
0: Um, sure.
2: And they're they look like little tiny apricots. They have like an ungodly number of seeds in them. I mm. I recently uh-huh. was like, oh, I have all these ripe loquats in my yard. I should make some jam. They're not that conducive sure. to jam. There's not a lot of <laughs> there's not a lot of I hate this word, but yes. flesh. Yeah. There's not a lot there, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of seeds um they sort of come out of it like a clown car you're like where are all these seeds coming from this is a small fruit anyway but they're cool and they smell good and squirrels like them so loquats
4: there you go so true the
3: opposite of this is uh we're recording on father's day and this brought up a memory wow. of my in my backyard we used to have a papaya tree Mm. And my dad used to love just like taking the papayas and freezing all of them after cutting sure. them up. And nothing smells worse than the inside of a papaya. Just mm. an absolutely disgusting smell that would radiate through the house. And wow. My relationship mm. with fruit.
2: Okay.
4: welcome
0: to can i kick it this is a podcast about film festivals uh my name is andy Gramuga, and this week i'm joined by colin Ashley, emilio diaz that's right uh and uh we've got a little bit of a, a special episode for you this week uh i'm very excited uh joining us we have a guest a very special guest uh uh, if an old friend of mine uh dating back to the year two thousand eight wow uh, yeah <laughs> that's right um uh w- we've grown a lot since then but, uh, yeah, yeah no yeah uh, please wel- uh please welcome uh writer and of course more importantly. Uh, star of the 2010 production of Alice the Looking Glass Girl,
4: Whoa. Emily Kazmarak, to the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, that that
2: that was my peak. It's all downhill from Alice the Looking Glass Girl at New <laughs> York <right>. University. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the program in educational theater, the, the Plus Black Box was the place to be. It was. Um, yeah. w- welcome, Emily. Thank, thank you. For being you. Here. I'm yes, so thank excited. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, so, uh, you're here because you are... Uh, a professional writer who is in the Writer's Guild of America. Um, Do you have to join West or East, or you just join generally? I
2: was originally in East because I lived in New York for a long time, and I lived there when I joined. And then um, after a couple years in L.A., I said, I need to start getting emails for events that I... I'm on the correct coast sure. to actually attend, right. and so I I switched my membership to to West, and it's you know it's sort of one macro entity, but yeah, the right. West is definitely yeah. a lot bigger.
0: Yes, um, and so because of this fact that you're in this guild uh, and you have written for, for television um, among many things, uh, you are currently on strike. Yeah. Uh, as the uh, as the guild is uh, in a, as, as the AMPTP refuses to negotiate with the guild, I believe is what is officially happening right now. You said that acronym um,
2: extremely fast. I struggle over it every single time. <laughs> AMPTP, it's like, it's a terrible right. acronym. Yes, um, yeah. we are rolling no, into yeah. week eight of the strike. Um, so, right. no yeah. end in sight. Yep.
0: Um, yes. So we're going to talk a lot about the. We're going to talk about the strike. We're going to talk about Emily's experience on the strike so far, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about it through our lens of film festivals and how what the strike has meant so far, and what it. We'll do some wild speculation about what it could mean for the future. Um, a lot of fun stuff on that front. Uh, before we get there. I do want to uh, toss out that question that we do like to ask uh, uh, most of our guests at the beginning of the uh, episode. Uh, Emily, what's your experience with film festivals? Yeah,
2: my experience with film festivals is pretty minimal. Um, I have written a few short films, like when I was sort of first starting out and like uh, my initial sort of forays for the screen transitioning from playwriting and musical theater book writing, which was, those were sort of the first mediums that I worked in as like a professional. Um, but then I did make a couple of short films, um, you know, with sort of independent like groups of artists, friends. Um, I made a couple of, uh, I co-wrote a couple of musical short films, um, three of them for uh, New York film Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. those were, you know, it was like, we would get a, a group of students, um, and kind of write a short musical film to showcase them. Um, and so it was kind of a fun challenge. It was like, okay, who do we have and, and what can we make? And and those films I know were entered into some some film festivals. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think I only went to, I think only a couple of them were local, like to New York. So I think I probably went to, you know, maybe like two screenings of, of shorts yeah. that I had written in New York. Um, and that was really mm-hmm. cool. You know, you see the other, some of the other films and you're just, I, what I'm always struck by is just like the sheer, um, just like, uh, like spectrum of ideas and and the variety is always sort of mind blowing um, in right. any kind of festival context. Uh, so that's really cool. It's like an you know an amazing, especially with shorts. It's like a sampler platter of sure. of, of yeah. aesthetics and. Um, things that are really great and things that you're like what and you know and kind of every, <laughs> everything in between um, yeah but yeah so so it's not you know I want I, I want and I hope to get uh, a lot more uh, legit experience I want to you know go to all the all the fancy ones one day we'll see what happens yeah. but yeah pretty minimal
0: yeah, we've we've talked about shorts a couple times. Um, we
1: do famously. Uh, we've started yeah. a tradition of shorts giving, <laughs> right, where we do the, uh, or, uh, the week of as, Thanksgiving. Yeah, where it's reason. like we don't want to watch any movies, so we'll watch uh, shorts, so it doesn't take eight hours out of our week. Yeah, um,
2: shorts are great. I mean, I I think it was a real, you know, when I was sort of teaching myself, I I. I when I, I I always sort of knew I wanted to write for TV, um, but there was definitely right. like a period in college where I was like, okay, I guess I just need to teach myself the format. I need to teach. I like got some book right. and you know yeah. taught myself and got like whatever the free free program knockoff of Final Draft was, and um, mm-hmm. and shorts were really a great way for me to kind of dip my toe into screenwriting. And also, you know, the, the couple that I had a chance to like participate in the production of, it was definitely, um, a great sort of initial primer of what it's like to be on a set and like what the different jobs are and what, you know, you know, when you're making like indie shorts, you learn very quickly that Mm -hmm. like sound great sound is essential. Right. Like basic things that I think, um, you know, it was then sort of helpful to have had those initial, like, experiences as sort of scrappy and, like, upstarty as they were, um, just really valuable when I then went into, kind of, went on to, like, you know, bigger sets and sort of more um, right got into the industry. It's really
0: valuable. Yeah. Um, Great. Um, oh, and I, should, I haven't mentioned, we are also going to be talking about uh, the 1979 film Norma Ray a yes. little later on. Uh, a, uh, a union story that we're all uh, going gonna, to gonna chat about at plate Can. Um, but, before we get there, um, so... Uh, Emily, so tell us a little bit about so tell us a little bit about the run up to this strike because I know yeah. like the the Writers Guild famously went on strike. Um, I think the summer before we started college, or like the year before we started. College, yeah, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yeah. Yeah, the most recent writer's strike, which uh, I have very uh, vivid memories of. Um, you know, uh, seeing all the content go away, and then like seeing like the talk shows coming back, but without writers. The the late night shows. Uh, and seeing them try to fill that void and all of that, so I definitely have had like a, an image of my mind of like what a strike is like and, and a writer strike and how it impacts things. Uh, but it is like a really different time now, and the tactics have changed somewhat. But t- but tell us a little bit about like sort of the run up to it. And I know there's ne- like there's rumblings about negotiations and stuff. And and yeah, what your experience was uh, yeah strike was approaching.
2: Yeah, it's um I mean it's a super different time. I think you know yeah. everyone that I've sort of walked with on the line who was in the industry for the last strike um, you know, just sort of underlines over and over again, like how much things have changed since then. Um, I think in the run up to the strike, you know, we knew that our deal was coming up. Uh, We knew that there were going to be negotiations. And I think there were rumblings of a strike for a long time. And, you know, the sort of guilds perspective is always like, don't fuel rumors about a strike happening because that's, we don't want to go on strike like we're hoping that they'll make a deal with us right um you know yeah. we're we're certainly not interested in that um but you know for months beforehand you were hearing rumors that it was going to happen and you know some execs were sort of talking about it like it was a foregone conclusion and um and right. you know and i, I, I remember think, yeah the, i
0: hearing about um some, some like network shows like ordering scripts ahead. Like yeah, the stockpiling. Like scripts yeah. For next year. Lots yeah. and
2: lots of places, um, you know, yeah. sort of, sort of, I think I would imagine on the inside have like explicit sort of pre-strike strategy that's like about, yeah. you know, stockpiling the scripts and figuring out what they're going to, make for sure that's scripted and then making sure that they have their unscripted options lined up and all that jazz but from from our side of it you know it was really sort of like okay let's 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 go business as usual until and and hope that we don't have to go on strike and then you know go into the negotiations like in good faith and, and
0: i know you've like you've been out on the picket lines you, you're a strike captain i believe tell tell, yes. tell us a little bit about like the actual like physical experience of going on strike, which is like so crazy in, in, in the, in this year that people are still doing that.
2: Um, It's absolutely crazy. It totally feels like something from another time. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the first, uh, the, the very first week of the strike, I had a sprained foot and my, I was in a boot, so I was not picketing the first week. And then the second week, you know, the first day that I was there, um, Mm -hmm. I ran into a friend who was wearing you know a a, like a wga captain hat and like a fluorescent vest and kind of looking official and i was like oh my god this is so cool like what does that mean to be a captain like that's so awesome you know uh and she was like oh do you want to be a captain we desperately need more captains here you're a captain (laughs) now and i was like okay great um and but it had you know it has been great so basically what it means is that um, I, am, uh, I am always at Netflix, right? So I'm a captain at, like, you, sure. you, you're assigned sort of to a particular place or you assign yourself to a particular studio. Um, and for me, Netflix is just, like, you know, the most convenient. Um, but also, I think, you know, they're the original disruptors um, yeah. who are sort right. of responsible for uh, mm-hmm. the state that for- the industry's in.
0: Right, what they think they can get away with. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, and so uh, I am there. Um, I go three days a week, and I take the morning shift. So from nine to one, three days a week, I'm you know mm-hmm. working some designated task on the picket line, whether that's um being you know a gate captain so one of the people who is sort of leading and directing the picket uh loops in front of the gates um sometimes mm-hmm. you have a bullhorn some, some you know sure. usually you're communicating with like the crossing guards to kind of pe- keep people safe and following the rules and um keeping the energy up uh yeah. sometimes Are you distributing
0: signs yeah yeah
2: we're, we're distributing <laughs> signs i mean it, it, <laughs> we actually just uh at Netflix, we just eliminated the sign distro uh, position wow. because there we, we found that it wasn't needed. There were other things that were needed more, sure. but I, that was yeah. my go-to for a minute because yeah. yeah, it's fun to greet people when they come in and see what people, right. signs people pick and yeah. Um, but the other really important task is neutral gate watching, and I don't know how much you guys right. know about neutral gates um, in a strike, but please the, explain. Yes, <laughs> it's riveting stuff. Um, <laughs> no, it is kind of interesting though. The so. So, you know, on a studio or on these big lots, you know, there's many gates that people are using to enter and exit the premises. Um, the reserved gates are the ones that are supposed to be that we're actively picketing that are supposed to be used by all of the employees of the company that we are striking against. Right. So Netflix employees right. have to go through one of the gates right. where they're going to encounter picketers. That's labor law. Right. Um the neutral gates are reserved for like third party people who might need to access Netflix, like caterers or, you know, people who are there for whatever. Um, but not, uh, Netflix employees. And, um, so they are allowed to go through the the neutral gate that we've designated. But the way that we sort of make sure that nobody's cheating and that, like, you know, Ted Sarandos isn't, like, sneakily, like, yeah. you know, trying to get his mm-hmm. Escalade onto the premises is, uh, you know, by having a captain serve as a neutral gate watcher. And so they sit outside the neutral gate with a clipboard and keep track of cars that go in and out. Um, and, you know, it's really it's largely sort of like a deterrent, um, our, you know, knowing that they're being watched, knowing that they can't kind of sneak around. Um, but we also do have like a log in case there was anything, you know, that we needed to, there have been neutral gates that have been flipped, right? Um, people have been right. able to prove that they were being used by employees of the struck company. And then mm-hmm. we were able to flip them so that we could actively picket those gates. Um, so that's been kind of like uh that, that's like the introvert job if you wake up and you're like <laughs> exhausted you're like i'm gonna go watch the neutral gate and uh kind of you know not talk to yeah. anybody but do something very important so
4: yeah. right
0: yeah yeah that's great um so yeah i guess something i have interested in, so like obviously like a lot of especially a lot of what you're hearing about it with the strike is uh, television related cuz mm-hmm. um there's a lot of s- television specific demands like the room sizes and all all these sorts of things that you hear about um uh mini rooms being a big issue obviously all all this sort of stuff um it is interesting cuz like i think about like coming up and especially like you're pretty like you're not you're you're pretty early into the industry like you haven't been in the industry that long mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like i think about like what TV was like when we were in college Mm -hmm. and like even like the shift since then of like how network focused it was back then. And like all these shows that had long episode runs and all that sort of stuff. And then like, I do remember, like, getting Netflix Instant, like, around when we were in college, right? That's like when that first came out. Yeah, yeah. I remember, like, sitting in a dorm at NYU, like, watching the first season of Sherlock on Netflix Instant (laughs) or whatever. Like, all (laughs) these like early memories. Take me back, (laughs) yeah, right. When they called it that, when Netflix Instant was a separate thing and not. I still call (laughs) it that, right? Well, one of my favorite
2: signs. (laughs) One of my favorite signs on the picket line is for Netflix specifically. Says, "Hey, Netflix, I liked you better when you sold." when you mailed DVDs
0: and I think you know
2: that's right there was a simpler time
0: um yeah yeah. um but yeah it is interesting to think about how quickly the industry has changed like even since like we were on like the precipice of adulthood and becoming a part of the working world and like the promise of like having a career as a writer like and how that has shifted so much and like you know you hear so much about how like what what the strike is for is like to make it an industry that you can make a living in that you can support a a normal like middle-class lifestyle uh you know obviously you're having to live in like one of the most expensive cities in the world (laughs) usually when you're when you're working on that but but it is like yeah it's talk talk a little bit about like the specific demands of the specific like things that are being struck for in this moment
2: absolutely yeah i mean it really is about um you know the survival of the profession as a profession, right. and um, you know, fighting against it. what's happening kind of across industries where there's this, this gigification um, that's mm-hmm. being sort of enforced by these you know mega corporations that are like bigger than any company like the world has ever seen, um, right. and they just you know it's 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 that it's that. Um, yeah, the gap between the the working man and the boss is just ever widening, it seems like. And I think, you know, I was really lucky because on my very first show, which was a show called mm-hmm. Monsterland, um, my boss was really, my showrunner, was incredibly um, deliberate about like taking me under her wing and being like, I'm gonna train you up. And she really had that sort of mentorship Um, attitude that I think is you know or orientation to the job I guess I mean I think there's Mm -hmm. this beautiful tradition in TV um, of it's really sort of like an apprentice craft that's kind of how it has worked historically is that you know I was just listening to uh, an episode of script notes today where you know they're talking about they're talking to Vince Gilligan right and 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 he's talking about you know training up his writers and mentoring them and how many of them now have gone on to run their own shows and and that's how it's supposed to work right because showrunner is sort of a made-up impossible job it's it's like many many jobs jammed into one job but it also is this really beautiful singular uh role in that nowhere else is a writer in charge of The Mm -hmm. total creative vision of something that doesn't happen in film, that doesn't happen in theater. Like, I mean, playwrights have a certain kind of, um, you know, ability to sort of like sit in like their throne and say yes or no to things, but they they don't have real managerial power, right? Um, Right. And so, showrunning is is something is a craft that you know you kind of have. There's an oral tradition to it. There's an experiential, you know, training tradition to it. And that is being lost with these shorter orders of shows. You know, down from 22 episodes to 13 episodes to now six or eight or 10 episodes in a season, which is just, um, you know, so so much smaller than it used to be. And and therefore, you know, the companies are saying, oh, well, we can employ you for less time. Uh, We can employ fewer writers, and it's really sort of become this game where they're just trying to squeeze uh, the maximum uh labor out of the fewest right. number of people and um that is not it, i mean it, it it's so like obvious right i am like, yeah, I'm like yeah. a child could tell you right. that that's not a sustainable way um to make anything let alone tv which is right. like an incredibly complex and and um yeah. and sort and of fast, regimented like, fast right, right. Yeah. and and you know there's no way to there's really no way to kind of learn and absorb everything you need to learn and absorb other than just getting experience and just being on set. Right. And and you know if I hadn't had you know I now am in a in a position where you know I'm a I'm a my title is supervising producer on sort of the you know WGA titles, um, which means like I'm technically sort of like mid to like just upper level writer, and mm. I have a bunch of. Um, projects in development. I have multiple, you know, TV series in development with different studios and whatever. Obviously not right now because there's a strike. Right. But, um, but you know, and if I hadn't had a showrunner on my first show who was really willing to, like, she kept me on all the way through production. I was her number two. You know, when I got to prep, I didn't know how to read a call sheet. And by the end of right. the season, I was producing episodes. And I learned everything on the fly. I ran, you know, I ran production meetings, I ran a tone meeting. Like she let me do all of those things. But if I hadn't had that experience and it was just one season of TV, it was it was, you know, 8 episodes I think of TV, um then right. I would be I would be in a much weaker position developing my own stuff um because I would really, you know, and there are people, there are people who create their own shows and get thrown into show running who've never been on set. And right. that's happening more and more because people are being deprived of the opportunities to to be there and learn. Um, And when you have such small writer's rooms, um, which is now sort of, you know, increasingly the norm, especially on like mini rooms, um, streaming shows, you know, I've written on exclusively streaming dramas, so I've never Mm -hmm. been in a room that was more than like five people. Um, And it's just not doable. Like there's not, there's, there's, it's not, It's so clear to me that the the resistance to specifically like, you know, the sort of staffing size, which I know I think I think from the outside has been one of sort of the more um, like contentious demands that 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 we're advocating for. But but I think the people who are who are really balking at it, it's just so clear to me that they've never been on the ground. making a tv show because it the 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 volume of work i mean and and a showrunner is only um their capacity is only expanded when they have a handful of great writers that they can delegate to and that who really know the story who can be i mean it'll save you money in reshoots right if you have another writer on set who you know the showrunner has to go be in post okay great you know there's another writer who's covering set who knows that oh you know shit continuity wise like this actor got this haircut and that's not going to work because of the thing we're doing in episode seven. And, you know, a writer who was in the writer's room the whole time who's internalized the show is going to know that better than anybody else. Um, and so I think what the company, the companies, you know, are in their effort to just cut costs and, and trim Mm -hmm. margins, I think are not being wise about, um, the, the, the sort of long, you know, the long-term health of the medium, but also, you know, like actively, uh, it will save them money to to yeah. do it properly, right? We have yeah. a system that's worked very well. To your point, Andy, um, right, for a long time, and uh, the streamers are, you know, to borrow Facebook's phrase, they're moving fast and breaking things and not right. really caring about it. So,
4: yeah,
0: right. yeah, um, I do, I. Th- i was listening to an interesting podcast earlier uh, this week's episode of tv's top five uh, mm. is um uh they they got a bunch of happy endings writers oh yeah uh together because uh apparent like that room was was larger than usual and like 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 hat or like a two-thirds Bond, of them or something i think went 21 on to become, showrunners right Right. Yeah. many many yeah. showrunners yeah. came out of that show so they were sort of talking about it and like yeah they, they talked about a, a couple of things that really made me interesting but but like First off like the 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 streaming model of like smaller episodes, less writers whatever, it certainly leads to like worse art overall. Like, mm-hmm. like yes. it's 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 forcing people to write for these structures that like they don't know how to write for like what is like a four episode season? Like yes. what does that like how does that break down episodically? How do you yeah. are you not just making an overlong movie that stops a couple times? Like yeah. that sort of stuff um it and yeah. yeah it is like it's interesting like that that is one of the things they talked about i think and then the other thing that 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 they talked about that was interesting to me was like and, it, and this is like sort of plays into some of the stuff that we talk about often is like you know they fall in love with like these like auteur sort of models uh on 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 a television basis like think like that think about like the stories which like of Steven Soderbergh making the Nick or whatever. And it's, like, he is, like, shooting, like, really fast and then, like, editing in the car on the way home or whatever. And then, that like, studios are then thinking, like, oh, well, we can just do this all the time and, like, get, like, and, like, (laughs) we'll we'll just get the right people. Like, and, like, they don't have the, the people who have the knowledge base to be able to do that. And, like, so they're cutting back on staff. And so then they just lose all this, like, institutional knowledge, this, like, the shared collective, like... Uh, ability to work and create something together that like it it, it made me I thought about that as an interesting way of like what makes TV unique as an art form is is often like how collaborative it is yeah on the on the writing level which is like somewhat unusual for many forms except for like musical theater or whatever where there's like a Mm -hmm. couple of writers like uh and yeah it's interesting to think about like how that can be so vital for like TV as its own art form and how it how it um makes it stronger as as it is itself, if yeah. That makes
2: sense. I think that's I think that's absolutely true. And I think you know, look, like I think there has been incredible art that has right. you know, there's there's incredible shows that have really short orders, right? And and right. I think we we are seeing there are things, and I think for artists and creators, we really at the beginning of streaming, it really seemed like you know, it pe- the peak TV, like yeah. sort of um, right paradise artistic freedom
1: yeah anything's possible there's no constraints you can just its internet. and i think to some degree
2: that's you know to some degree i think that that is true and that there is like a liberation in not being told how many you know you're you're right
0: you know i i can imagine or whatever like yeah right
2: i can imagine there being things that were experience you know it's restrictive that felt restrictive in like a cable model or network model or whatever but i do agree that um fundamentally you know when you <laughs> when you dismantle this this system that really is the way it is for a reason right like we've we've right. america has been Television... built up
0: over decades like <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: it's like and and when you come in with like an axe and you know um and and change everything like the yeah the i think I think it's just so clear that, you know, these companies, these, these publicly traded companies that are re- having to respond to shareholders are not thinking long term. They're not thinking what's going to happen, like where are the next, you know, where's the next dozen like Soderbergh auteur folks going to come from. Yeah. Um, they're just thinking, what can we report the next quarter? What yeah. growth can we report next quarter? And, and right. that to me is like, you know, I think it's so telling when you hear these, CEOs, you know, talk about content and I'm like, content (laughs) is not how none of us got into this business to make content. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, And so I think it's just, it's really obvious that, you know, their incentives are to make money, not to make art. And I think TV for American TV for so long has been this kind of, you know, obviously, obviously brutal and complicated, but also beautiful Mm -hmm. place where you can, you can split the difference and you can make art that also makes money and that makes you a good living and, and, um, where you can provide for a family, you can buy, you know, it's, it's literally like, it's a good union job where you can, you know, have a hope of buying a house in, in the city where you work. Right. And, um, I just think, it's yeah i mean the companies hate that because it's a real obstacle to them getting to report unchecked growth right. and i i'm one of the show I, the other thing i just want to say about sort of um you know not even necessarily it's not even really like about number of episodes but i think with regards to number of seasons which i don't know if you guys sure, have seen yeah. one of the one of the uh, there was some piece, I'm not going to remember what it was, but recently about, oh, I think it was the piece in Vulture, the Binge Purge piece yes. in, in mm-hmm. Vulture, the
0: piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: where they were talking about how, you know, in streaming, these showrunners would be given up front these like incredibly, um, you know, appealing deals where it's, we're going to pay you X amount the first season, we're going to pay you X, you know, squared amount the second right. season. And then mm-hmm. we're going to pay, you know, X cubed amount for the third season, but None of right. these shows. I mean, how many Netflix shows can right. you name that have got yeah. three seasons, right? Yeah. And so well, and beyond
0: them, that, even like yeah, sure. especially like yeah. Yeah.
2: So they ask them before they have to pay out the the big big money. And um what I am kind of I'm right now I'm uh uh don't shame me for this I'm 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 late to the party but I'm i enthusiastically here I'm watching Six Feet Under for the first time sure and. I'm having an incredible time with it and and I'm really I'm noticing something about like the temporality of the show um and how we experience TV when we know mm-hmm. we have seasons ahead of us versus when right. we have eight, six episodes total and I do think that the relationship with the viewer is complete. I mean, this is getting into like performance studies land, but sure. I think the relationship with the viewer is completely yeah. different. Um As right. a, you know, when you're watching that family on six feet under just right. And also, I mean, just, you know, fascinating how, you know, it's just deep, excellent character work. Like there's, yeah. you know, <laughs> if I was to like list off the events of the last episode, like it almost sounds pedestrian by our, our sort of tastes now. And by the fact that everything has to be like this, like, you know, four quadrant, like global, like, you know, juggernaut success. Right. And you just think, oh, well, you know, I just watched this family, like have an awkward dinner for 30 minutes. And that was half the episode. And it was I was riveted. And I think some of that comes from you allow yourself to sink deeper into relationship with characters when you know you have time with them. And when you know that you're going to get to watch them unfold over multiple seasons, and so that's like a little bit more poetic. But I think that's that's something that I'm really, um,
4: right.
2: I can really see how, and I think as a creator, I think I would work quite differently if I had an expectation of maybe I'll. It's not unreasonable to think I'll get four seasons or whatever. Whereas you know that was true 15 years ago, and now it's like you are insanely lucky if you get one and two, like, Mm -hmm. you're a smash hit, right? Right, So, and that's still, like, Yellow Jacket's huge hit, 20 episodes total? 19, maybe, um, so far. And that's, you know, that's very different from what it was when we were coming up and those shows we would invest in sort of over the long haul and that would get to mature and find themselves creatively uh, as well.
3: Yeah, and I've also been thinking about a lot recently of... Obviously, we're a movie podcast primarily. And a thing I've been thinking about is A lot of people talk about the decline of the mid-budget movie and just like anything greater than $30 million yeah. and under $100 million. And like a big reason why that happened, it seems to be like all of these companies realize, well, if we're going to spend that on a movie, we might as well just make it a TV show. And we script yeah. that out to like a season of television shows and make multiple seasons. And it's mm-hmm. just one of those basic things of you having to realize of like, there's no logical reason why making more of this should, at the, <laughs> should be the same budget, unless there is something in the middle that is happening, which is just like, yeah, TV writers being exp- exploited, time on sets being slashed, and other things along those journeys, which is another point of just like, it is making the art worse, because it is taking stories that should have been one thing and then forcing them into this other. Like, as you said, as you mentioned, like there is a way in which the sort of promises of streaming can, can seem like freeing, but there's also these ways in which they are constraining.
2: Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your one of you said earlier, like, you know, that there's so many shows that you're like, why? This should have been a movie. It's too long. It's too drawn <laughs> out as a series, right? Um, mm. And I think that's a totally real phenomenon. I also think, you know, these companies... Kind of screwed themselves from the at the beginning with you know some of some of the like episodic budgets for these shows. I mean they they've now set the expectation that TV shows are going to look a certain way that yeah. they're all going to look like cinema, right. right? And so now you kind of can't do a prestige show for anything less than you know whatever million dollars you know however many million dollars you know an episode. Right. Um, yeah. But that was also sort of like it didn't used to cost that much per episode to make a TV show, but now we've, we, they applied sort of that movie logic. Um, and now we expect everything to look like, um, yeah, like a, like a feature film. So I, I think there's so many, you know, I just don't think there was any foresight, right? Like they didn't, it's like right. any sort of tech disruptor, like, you know, Uber didn't come in and say like, I wonder what this will do to the, let's do a thought experiment. Right. What will this do to the taxi industry? Right? Let's right? do a blue yeah.
0: sky about like, yeah. And, then, yeah, and ramifications. then we'll drill down and do a survey. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: So there's all sorts of, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think that what, the, what that vulture piece did so beautifully was sort of spell out like, you know, they, they got the, the companies, um, got themselves into a corner right they 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 went all in they followed netflix off a cliff of a model that is like actually not profitable quarter over quarter yeah and now that's what they all have to prove all the time and yeah i mean the the fee there's so many fears on our side but one of them is like that the content will just kind of become lowest common denominator stuff that gives them their whatever right. four quadrants but yeah. isn't challenging and isn't um robust and isn't you know what we all got into the game to do
4: yeah yeah
3: yeah and we've we've also talked about how it's funny that there are some things that at the beginning of streaming i guess with companies like netflix you know they were all like where we're going to drop every season all at once. This is going to be bent. There are like these hard rules that they tried to set that are now slowly being eroded to just being normal TV. Almost as <laughs> if right.
4: that, yeah. yeah. that was the thing yep.
0: that worked. Uh, Netflix like. with ads being a thing. That <laughs> yeah. Is oh, yeah.
4: Like-
2: <laughs> we're going to circle all the way back to cable because, it, you know, right. I've been just sort of thinking about it. And I think, you know, obviously I'm sure that if I had been working in that system, I would say, oh, cable has so many problems. But I do think in terms of, um, satisfying the needs of all the stakeholders, right? Like the companies and the creators and the advertisers and the audience, like cable was like right. not a bad move, right? Because you knew what you, you were
0: getting at least. Too. Yeah. <laughs>
2: and like everyone got paid, like
0: right.
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah. everyone mm-hmm. got
2: paid and paid in six, paid for success. I mean, that's the biggest problem is that I right. think, you know, it, so many people are, I mean, the data transparency issue, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know whether or not we're going to really make progress on that in the strike. We'll see. Um, but that is really, that's really the big issue is that you used to be able to look at the Nielsen ratings and then you'd be able to leverage how your show was doing to get more money, to get a bigger budget, you know, whatever, um, to advocate for yourself creatively. And now it's all, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I know showrunners who literally like have absolutely no clue how their shows are doing and how can you, how can you leverage that? You know, you should be able to leverage your success. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's, you know, there's real issues on the table and I think that's part of why this strike is so, um, you know, everyone is so sort of, uh, United and standing firm mm-hmm. and uh, resolved because we're like, this is our last chance. I mean, you know, and I don't, we don't have to get into the whole AI of it all, I feel like, but, but that's, that is, I think a lot of folks feel like if we don't drill down on that now,
4: right. we yeah.
2: will not it's have over. another right. chance. Yeah. So, yeah, it yeah. feels existential, I think, to
4: yeah.
3: folks in the yeah. guild. Right. And obviously, another, like, an aspect of, I guess what we're talking about that does have to do with film festivals a lot, which we frequently talk about is sort of Netflix's relationship with the Cannes film festival, how the Cannes film festival Mm. won't play Netflix movies because they refuse to play things in theaters theaters. or given their, their own theatrical window. Wow. I don't think I knew that.
2: That's crazy. yeah.
0: Yeah. There's yeah. There's so there's a rule at Cannes that anything that plays in competition has to have like a full French theatrical run for like, it's, like, over a year, right? Like, it has to be a theatrical exclusive. I um, think and So, there. yeah. And so Netflix does not agree to that. And, like, they're, like, because they want everything on their platform. Yeah. Like, I think the most they've ever given uh, for, like, a U.S. release is, like, three months or something. Right. Which sure. is, like, like which, like, you have to be, like, Martin Scorsese to get that. Yeah. Like, you have to be, like, yeah. the the most famous filmmaker in the world right. in order to, to get something like that. Um, Otherwise, it's, like, you get a week if you're lucky, and then you're on the platform. And and most people, it's just, you're just on the platform, right? And, like, and I know there is, there are, like, negotiation uh, things as well about, like, movie writers and, like, how they're, like... Getting compensated for on these platforms yeah. where you don't know how many people are seeing your your film and all that sort of stuff, where where if you wrote a movie that played that did well at the box office, like you would get a bonus for yeah. having written right, a movie right, that right. over a certain amount of money or whatever. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I do have one. I have a feature in development at Amazon, yeah. um, and it's my first movie, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a whole different ballgame. It's T V and film right. are so like bizarrely different from each other. But um yeah. but you know, one of the things that we're trying to secure in the deal is um, you know, two step deals for right. screenwriters. Um and and I was lucky that, you know, my contract on this movie that I'm doing, I I my my agents were able to negotiate multiple steps. So, you know, right. I think I had two guaranteed steps and then um which I don't know if Folks know what that means, but like basically, like a draft and then a set of revisions um, based on notes right. would be. Two They're not steps. allowed to
0: like try to bring in another writer before yeah. then, right? Right.
2: And so yeah. my deal had like two guaranteed steps, and then like an optional rewrite and an optional polish that the studio could choose to exercise. But I think you know that's that I, that is not standard. Like lots and lots of people are getting these one-step right. deals, which is essentially like give us a first draft which is like whose first draft is ready to, you know, like (laughs) ready to go. I mean, I just think there's so much that's just like not at all uh, there. It has no relationship to like what an actual creative process is like for a writer. And so screenwriters like deserve to be able to do rewrites on their work before in response to notes before it, you know, they get fired and replaced by somebody. Right. Like these are basic, (laughs) basic things, but yeah, screenwriters um, for sure. I mean, you know, weekly pay, right? Like you're paid in lump sums when you are on a movie project, which is um, really chaotic and like not particularly useful in planning your life. Um, So, (laughs) you know, there's, there's a lot of issues there as well.
0: Yeah. Um, To sort of talk a little bit about, about the current strike and, and its effect on current film festivals obviously so the strike Where you said we're week eight right yeah um so uh so the the main festival it's affected so far was the can film festival and then uh, i think tribeca is happening now um so those are the two ones where there's been so uh there were some like articles written in the run-up so the thing about can is like a lot of those movies aren't like studio movies right yeah. like so there weren't like a ton of movies that was like well, the, this film that's premiering in competition is, like, not going to have key creative peoples there. And, like, I think the main ones were, were Asteroid City, the Wes Anderson, and Killers of the Flower Moon, which was out of competition, the, the Scorsese. And, like, Wes Anderson was still there, but, but like, appearing as a director. I th- believe the writer of Killers of the Flower Moon was not there because of the strike. Because I know, like, part of the strike rules is you're not allowed to go to a film festival or, mm-hmm. or generally promote promote your work uh, for the studios. Um... And but the other thing that like it really affected I think was was the marketplace because all these film festivals are also um, like like the uh, the business mm-hmm. side of them is like a huge marketplace where people are selling not only the movies that are playing at the festival right but where people are like building you know deals with each other of like we're gonna get this person to write this script and we're gonna attach these stars and like you know putting together packages right um, yeah uh, uh, and 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 you know. It, it was like an effect on, on can of like, well, is there a script written or like, are we going to have to like wait for the strike to end or what? Like, and so yeah. it had sort of a dampening effect on that. Um, I, you know, I am curious to see how it affects things going forward. It does seem like it is going to be a long haul strike. Uh, you know, the, the, the last one I think was, was it like six months or
2: something? It like was that? like, a, it was a hundred days ish. Sure. So sure. yeah. So yeah.
0: a little over three months then. Um, and it, it does seem like this one has, it has the, at the very least, the potential to go longer than that one, because um, it does not sound like the, the, the studios are, um, are are making any effort. Um, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens. I do think that, you know, um, we will know more at the end of the month when the SAG <laughs> sure. negotiations are right. up. We'll know whether or not SAG is uh, going on strike. You know, they, they took a strike authorization vote and got like 98%. Yeah. Um, which is a huge deal. Their membership is much bigger than ours. So, um, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, but yes, you know, we're all, I think everyone is, is, you know, I I think the quip that's going around on Twitter is like, you know, writers are used to going months and months without work. Like these companies trained I know, especially, yeah,
0: nowadays. Yeah. Like
2: I was born in the darkness, right? It feels very sort of (laughs) like we can do this as long as y'all want to do this, you know?
0: right yeah um great um does anyone else have anything they want to say about the current strike or anything before we transition into the normal rate discussion
3: no. I mean, I'm down solid, to talk about sol- Sally Fields. I mean solid, solidarity. Yeah, I absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know,
0: obviously we are a pro WGA union podcast, I guess. We need absolutely. to want that officially on the record. You. If you couldn't Altogether. tell by the discussion though yeah. so far. Um great. But yeah, absolutely given hell. Well and um, it's
2: also cool, I think just to and this I think will sort of seg us in, like, you know, yeah. the the um it is it is really interesting to see like now that I'm sort of plugged into like labor news, <laughs> right? right. It mm-hmm. is interesting to see, you know, um, I think like the UPS uh, the teamsters who like work right. for UPS, just like authorized to strike. Like there's mm-hmm. a huge um, hospitality workers, um, uh, union right. in LA that, that authorized to strike. Like I do think it's, it's powerful to see other union, mm-hmm. other other industries be like, oh, hey, like maybe this is a moment actually for
4: right.
2: um, for labor to to you know kind of rise up together. Um, and I yeah. think you know, it's it's as different as you know my life is from probably like a hospitality workers or whatever. And as 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 pre- I'm absolutely prepared to like acknowledge um, certain, you know, privileges and certainly in my individual experience of being a TV right. writer. But um, I would also say, you know, across the industry, like, you know, but it it's amazing how much we have in common, right? Like there really is, yeah. it really is a common struggle across lots of industries. And I think, um, it it has been a bit radicalizing uh, for me to to be part of, um, and I loved Norma Rae. Let's talk about Norma yeah.
0: Rae. Yes, let's talk about Norma Rae. I'm very excited. Um, you know, we we were sort of like casting about, like what movie are we going to talk about in this episode? Like we got to fight whatever, and I was like, well, Norma Rae won. Like Sally Field played Can, and Sally Field won Best Actress or whatever, and like. People were not, some people were immediately, not immediately, like, super excited about that prospect, I would say. Uh, and, like, some, you know, people were like, what is that movie? You know, yeah. that, this sort of thing was thrown around. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not, not to name names. Not to throw anyone's position. Neither of, of us, us, I guess. <laughs> and we can just completely lie. <laughs> yeah, I called out. I
2: called out. Yeah.
0: But uh, I, you know, I, I, I watched this, through this movie on last night, and I had just a great time watching Norma Ray. I think it's like a really like terrific, like gangbusters sort of like character study, but also like a real like interesting portrait of this, of a time and a place and a, mm-hmm. uh, and a movement. And I do think like so the filmmaking of especially a lot of the union action in it is like genuinely thrilling and moving, I sure. found. Um, uh, but uh, a little bit of background. Uh, So Norma Rae, it's uh, 1979, directed by Martin Ritt, um, who I can't say I'm familiar with. He
1: directed uh, The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, the John le Carre adaptation with Richard Burton, which
3: is incredible. Yeah. Uh, HUD. Um, HUD, Yeah. I know a lot of people like talking about HUD.
0: Sure. Um, uh, And it's a screenplay by Irving Ravitch and Harriet Frank Jr. And it's based on a a true story of Crystal Lee Sutton, who uh, was like an American she's you know she was based who norma ray was based on so you can you can take your guess about what what she was doing um but uh it's it's a it's a 20th century fox picture that premiered at the 1979 can film festival um where it played in competition this is the the apocalypse now year yeah so it's like a you know pretty monumental uh it's a film also i think there. i mean it's like days
1: of heavens that year days that of heavens yep. an mm-hmm. and then i saw uh, the China Syndrome won an award. So it's a lot of That's Hollywood, right. a lot of 70s people yes. there.
0: And also, uh, a special shout out for, for Emily, pl- also playing in this competition, uh, Werner, Werner Herzog uh, adaptation of Wojciech.
4: Oh, of Jesus. <laughs> um, uh, there, uh,
0: yeah. a, a, a text we are we are familiar with. Yeah, our, we,
2: uh, we saw a, a, a rendition of Wojciech uh, when we were in college that was quite memorable.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we don't need to get into it um, but also at this festival so out of competition Hair uh, played the, the film adaptation of Hair uh, Woody Allen's Manhattan no comment um, <laughs> a, a, a Federico Fellini movie called Orchestra Rehearsal which apparently is about an Italian orchestra going on strike against their conductor so I guess it was just sort of in the air mm. that there was some sort of like uh, labor labor stories being told at this festival and yeah. um, uh, you know um, uh, Apocalypse Now w- uh, ties for the palm with um, what's it called? The Tindrum. Tin uh, which Saundorf. I'm not yeah sure. Uh, and then yeah, Sally Field wins Best Actress um, which she then goes on to win the Oscar. Uh, the film is nominated for four Oscars. It gets um, uh, Best Picture uh, nomination and uh, Best Adapted Screenplay nomination and then it also wins uh, best original song for the song that plays uh, at the beginning and end of the movie, <laughs> which is kind of funny to think about that kind of song uh just once it's way to an <laughs> <So> Oscar <funny. laughs> uh, so which is like a it's a perfectly song nice now. song, yeah. but I'm like, yeah, know? yeah, hey,
3: yeah. the working man, yeah, yeah, very yeah. strange, very strange,
4: yeah, yeah,
0: um, but yeah, uh, so I mean, I guess, and I feel like you know, you hear about like it, it has sort of become. You've, I associate Norma Ray with like Sally Field. You know, she won two Oscars. I don't think this was the "You Like Me" speech. I think that was the other one. Uh, I would have to look that up probably. i sort sure. of not that, that not sounds speaking right. Speaking from authority here, um, but uh, but yeah, it, you know, you, she, Sally Field is. I guess she's like a uh, an actress who's like a little bit before our time, uh, but she was like a little Just bit. a huge <laughs> star, you know.
2: Yo, I don't think, right. I, I guess <laughs> I don't think Give yourself some of credit,
1: her. Andy. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, that's totally, you're totally right. But I, I think of her as very much, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think of her, I think I'm not as familiar with her younger roles, but she worked, right. she's worked prolifically, you know, sure, in her, yeah. in, in, you know, her whole life. So I, I think like, you know, I think about like Mrs. Doubtfire on, yeah. <laughs> you sure, know,
4: right.
2: like yeah. is actually quite, quite in there for me. I, I love yeah. Sally Field. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Forrest Gump. I mean, yeah. Obviously, she's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Forrest Gump. Um, of course, I love Lincoln. I always talk about Lincoln, Lincoln whenever sure, I yeah. can. She's, yeah, she's still uh, Magnolias.
2: I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah,
1: right. Eighty for Brady um, now. She's
0: back. Eighty That's right. for she's Brady. In, she's in eighty for Brady. She's still she's still at it. Yeah. Hello, my name. She, she also won, the won Best Actress Kane
1: for eighty for Brady.
0: We should That's mention right. <laughs> <laughs> this year. Sure. They, yeah. yeah, the darling of Can. Yeah, exactly.
1: Tom Brady on on the crossette. Um I guess she is I mean, the whole thing of Fours Cup is it's ridiculous that she's playing Tom Hanks' mom because they're essentially contemporaries. And right. uh, well, in my head yeah. I just think of her as like an old lady in that movie. So it's like I saw yeah. that when I was a kid, I never think about like right. I well, mean because we they don't need to her get her into for my experience seeing Fours Cup as right, a kid.
4: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah. But No, she's she's fantastic in this movie though. Yeah. I mean Absolutely. a couple of a couple of things struck me one was i was like wow this feels and maybe it's just because i'm uh, embroiled in this in this yeah. moment um yeah. but i was like this feels incredibly subversive this feels incredibly mm-hmm. um almost like dangerous like i i had a hard yeah. time imagining that movie getting right. made now for many reasons especially
0: because yeah. certainly yeah you know
2: for many reasons but i think but i think you know i'm thinking particularly of the scene in the church where the sort of first union meeting where the organizer, Mm -hmm. um, you know, speaks and it's just like sort of a, it's a still shot of him sort of at the pulpit saying like talking about what a union is and it's really powerful. And I, I, you know, I was like, wow. And I, and I sort of had the feeling like, Oh God, someone's going to like come and shut my TV off. Right. Like it feels subversive (laughs) to be like, Oh man, like, um, and, and then the other thing that struck me was, um, you know, how I was, I, I found the scenes in the mill to be incredibly effective. And yeah. I found the, the oh. use, the sound design to be incredibly yes. effective.
0: Yeah, 100%. I thought about that so much. Yeah, just the environmental capture of that mill. There's like all the cotton flying in the air yeah. all the yeah. time. And just like the constant noise, which really pays off in the scene where she gets everyone sure. to turn off their oh, machines. Oh, such a payoff. Which huge is just payoff. incredible. Um, but yeah, it really like, and just like, also just like, it being in a textile factory is, like, not something you see a lot, right? Like, it's, like, unless you're, like, like, I guess maybe some, like, episodes of Mr. Rogers where Picture Picture took you inside a factory or whatever. Like, that's not, like, a, a an environment that I'm familiar with. And, like, mm-hmm. seeing all the, like, different machinery go and, like, the way that people are operating them and, like, that, what the their tasks are in these, like, long strands everywhere. And, like, they're, like, doing very technical work on it and you're like wow like you see like you can really see how much like skill and how much like real labor like Mm -hmm. physical labor it takes to like do this job and like you meet several characters and you sort of get a sense of like the the physical toll this job takes on on these people and like you know it really yeah it really does sort of like immerse you in the world of this mill I feel like and like and and like and it takes a a little while right for the idea of the union to get introduced Mm -hmm. like it's like there's like a good like maybe 20 or 25 minutes before the union organizer like enters into the movie and like you sort of see sally field like being a spitfire and like you know like put asking for stuff or what like you know she's like She's a little bit of a rabble rouser, but she, like, has all this energy that isn't being directed in in, in, in an organized way, right? That, like, the union is going to come in. And I do think, like, yeah, the way it sets up that environment that leads to that that sort of payoff is, is so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, um,
1: the establishing shots, especially, like, in that opening s- scene where the credits are rolling and it's just, like, footage of the factories and, like, everything rolling uh, is really just, like... Uh, you know, it's just like a perfect way to get you in the mood of like working in this factory. And the thing, you know, you talk about, you don't see textile mills often. The thing that I kept thinking about while watching it is a movie I watched for the first time recently, the pajama game, (laughs) right? which is they, it's, it's a very, like, it was on my mind frequently. There's the great scene in the pajama game uh, where they do, they organize the work slowage and it's, you know, organized into the song and it's like, Incredible stuff. And it was just on my mind a lot watching this for the first time. Because, I mean, like you're saying, Andy, it sort of exists in my mind as, like, oh, Norma Ray is, like, a reference for, like, anyone who's sort of, like, boisterous and, like, uh, you know, very organized in their actions in any regard. And, it, you know, there's the iconic image, obviously, of her holding the sign that says Union Up. Um, But then, like, watching it, it is also just, like, a great piece of, like, Americana and, like... Mm -hmm. um, the relationship drama of her and Ruben and you know Bo Bridges, like right. the oh my push God, and pull I've... of all that.
2: I wanted them to kiss so <laughs> Yeah, I was at the like, end. Sure. God damn it! Uh, <laughs> I mean, the
1: actor. I don't know him well. Um, no, he's great. Yeah, he's great. yes, he's he's really good. I'm trying to pull his name. Ron uh, Liebman. Yes, Ron Liebman. He's incredible. And just like he was uh, the original Roy Conan,
0: Angels at America. Whoa, hardcore! Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah,
3: um, he's in the this movie, The Hot Rock. I don't know if any of you I. I get yeah, the, the Peter Hot Yates Rock. movie. Yeah, that movie's great, and he's very good in it. Oh, that's just like a Robert Redford heist movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's on Friends. As, uh, as Whoa.
0: Doctor Leonard Green on Friends. <laughs> <What> <laughs>
2: Not Doctor Leonard career.
3: Green. <laughs> yeah.
2: What's well, really um, all over the place? Um, yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, I mean, this movie is like. Oh, he married Jessica Walter, of course. Whoa. <laughs> of course. Okay. R. I. P. Yeah. <laughs> yeah R. I. P. This is, like, one of those – it's, like, the number one argument of just, like, you can't buy this kind of just, like, grit these days. I guess. Yeah, it's just like absolutely. Work – it's just, like, being able to shoot this movie just, like, how it looks set in these real factories with sort of real-looking people. Because even uh, Roy Liebman, he's interesting because he's kind of hot in the movie, but, you know, he's mm-hmm. hot in, like, a 70s way. He's not, like yeah. – yeah, the, the most shizzled man who's d- ever exists. And it's it sort of, uh, it's very charming in that way. I'll say as a person who works in a factory, the sound stuff really made the movie hard for me to watch. Because <laughs> I was just like, this is just what I hear all the time. And it really stresses me out. So yeah. I did, it did make the climax work better for me because I was just like, sure. yeah. God, this silence is just finally just peace. So beautiful <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, it's so easy to just sub in like an Amazon work, like an Amazon warehouse sure. or something, yeah. right? Like you can just like you can right. sort of copy paste and be like, oh, this hasn't aged a day in in that way. Um, yeah. But I'm curious. I I I want to like unpick this idea of like why this movie couldn't get made now, and I sure. I, I think. I think the union sentiment is part of it because I, I do think that that is political in a way that, um, you know, is so refreshing and exciting to watch, but yeah. I'm hard-pressed to, like, name... I, I Like, I just have... I'm just like, who would make that? It, like, it yeah. feels very... Um, right. Like, a company about, would be scared to make it now.
1: Exactly. You think about this winning Best Actress at the Academy Awards, and it's, like, yeah. the most political right. movie of, like, the... Oscars a year ago was like, don't look up and it's you know, what are we dealing with right, the right, situation? Right, right. And it's don't look like, up is like this... I think we
2: can agree climate change yeah. is real, you know. It's like, okay. Where um, it's like yeah.
1: Norma Ray is, you know, borderline didactic, but it It's like you're saying uh just in talking about the union earlier of like it all makes sense, like obviously this is what to, The like what it should be, and then you know you have the situation where it's like this at watching it now, where we you know even Emilio mentioning the sort of uh, how people long for like a mid-budget movie and like long for something normal, and it's like this is a movie that is a small story, just like on on any level you pine for that now with modern filmmaking, and it's uh, just the thought of this being like a major Hollywood picture and like having this political message in any regard is so refreshing like you say and it's just yeah. like it, it's impossible to imagine it coming out of a studio especially nowadays i forget where you where have I'm like a... i mean how to blow up a pipeline is a recent movie that is like uh-huh. it, though yeah. there is debate whether sorry like, to there, bother you comes to mind too yeah, mean, like, yeah there's it's definitely happening and like obviously it, pipeline they have to their issues. You.
2: I haven't seen the Pipeline movie, though I've heard it's great, but but Sorry to Bother You has, like, a satirical gloss to it that I Right-er. think... Right. Like, and also is,
0: like, loaded with, like, star cameos and stuff. Yeah. And, like, yeah Nor- like, like,
2: Norma Ray is so earnest, too. Yeah, it's, right, like, yes. it's yeah. very earnest filmmaking, right? So, like, and yeah. I think I think what I'm interested in, Cullen, is what you're saying about, like, the sort of mid-budget movie that's a small story, right? Yes, that, yeah, that right. It, it feels like it sort of pinpoints it for me um, because right. I just feel like our scale of like what deserves to be a movie has gotten so out of whack and so yes. like sort of bloated and like, I mean, this is personal taste, but like I I could not be less interested in seeing a superhero movie. And it feels yes. like that's that's it, right? Like that's the scale we've Those decided are... that movies should be right. if they are big sort of mainstream film so it's just it's it it was just like wild to be like oh my gosh like this one like not in a bad way i thought it was a great movie but like wow this was what was allowed to win oscars yeah you know right
0: multiple Um, nominations including best picture yeah yeah. crazy yeah
3: Yeah, i think like and Um, it's like go ahead go ahead uh, like the the other end of it is like there is like a like two million dollar like indie or like foreign or independent movie which is, like, obviously we talk about those movies and we love a lot of them and they're great. But I think those sort of exist at a different scale and at a different sort of yeah. thing than this mm-hmm. side of the movie. Right, I, yeah, whereas you don't like get those, the cultural those, penetration, you, yeah. Yeah, you don't get the cultural penetration, but I also think those movies are much more about, like, tend to focus on, like, drilling down to, like, a specific set of emotion or a specific set of yeah. sort of person, whereas, like, this has the benefit of, like, Telling this story with multiple relationships and bouncing across this, you know, uh, this setting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sort of that's what sort of being lost in the middle of just like you you can either make a tiny movie about a small thing or a big movie about a big thing, and there's no space to make totally movie about medium things. Yeah. Well, so I also was like listening to a podcast recently. (laughs) I forget what it is exactly but this, it did sort of get me thinking about this movie where they were just talking about how like it used to be just a very normal thought that your bosses sucked and you didn't <laughs> <Yes>. like them <laughs> and so like it's uh, like a classic against, thing work sucks uh, like yeah battle like you sort of have to do battle against them and that's sort of a very normal thing to think whereas now that feels it's like a political statement yes to think, yes like your bosses suck and we <laughs> should have b- better things
4: yeah
2: yeah 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 yeah, I mean it really yeah, we've we've made capitalism like so friendly and so cozy and so personalized that it does feel um it, it is just not as organic a thought I think to a lot of people that, you know, I don't know, to to be like <laughs> fuck this system, right? Because yeah. they've made it really like tasty for us. Um yeah. so yeah, it's yeah, it was it was it was wild. I one one piece of the movie that I thought was like really just fascinating in a psychological way that I was like curious. Mm-hmm. I wanted like a little bit more of is that like sort of wonky like slightly fucked up relationship with her dad. Um, sure. Yeah. There's that like amazing monologue where she's drunk in the car and she's talking about how he like would take her out to on dates and gave her a ring and all this stuff, and then it's sort of never mentioned again. Um yeah. and then right. he 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 dies. Yes. Yeah, Full he
4: disclosure
2: dies, he di- I had a hard time telling apart some of the like white <laughs> <Sure>. men with <laughs> in factory clothes. Yeah. Classic. Like, Old classic.
1: guys with sideburns and trucker hats. <laughs> they yeah. all kind of blend in together. Yeah, he was the one who had the heart attack. Yeah, um, okay. He, which is. Yeah, has... yeah. And then the cut to his coffin just lowered well, I mean, into the it's, ground. It's such a like brutal thing to like have the scene of in the you know union movie where someone dies on the job uh, mm-hmm. but it, even like it's it's so early when it starts and she's like talking to her mom and she straight up can't hear and she's like she's like going deaf for hours we like need to do something about this and that's yeah. like the first little sort of instigation of like the unhappiness and like they give her the they give her the raise and like let her have the other job and then she's like has to you know obviously uh fight her own battle with like this was maybe fucked up of me to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Like on, uh, on who sort of is making a movie like this nowadays, it's not the same thing, but I feel like someone working on a similar like grit and scale it, which, you know, it can lead into the sort of uh, what is like a genre of like early 2010s Oscar bait, where I think of like Deborah Granik and Winner's bone. Like she, is sort of in that like which obviously you know it it has its own uh awards run in, in its own right um sure and makes although famously
0: people got so mad that that got a best picture
1: nomination that they changed
0: the way the oscars were well, yeah. so a movie like that wouldn't get an oscar nomination again
4: yeah wow.
1: um but and, and then like amelia was saying it's like on smaller scales where like uh she just had a new movie so kelly reichardt's on the brain a lot and like night moves is like a political movie that is you know, obviously an eco-terrorism movie that uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline is indebted to. But the, I, I feel like the people who were carrying the torch of this sort of thing, it's like Emilio says. It's just, like, it is on such a smaller scale. It's not getting the same lift. And, like, you, you know, now you have, like, the people. Like, I, I never saw it, but like, a movie like Nomadland where it's, like, mm. wonky sort of production. And, like, what, what's getting into that? And, like how they're getting like into the factories and yeah, every, yeah mm-hmm. like versus something with more of a uh uh an actionable message mhm yeah
4: mm-hmm. or it's like
1: i mean uh, uh the character of uh of ruben it's like he, like it's just a super charismatic guy who's like yeah we're we're trying to like we've we've done all these unions in these other areas uh and it's like textiles are one of the remaining uh, you know, organizations that haven't done it yet, and it's like we're trying to get this done, and right the way that this, yeah. like, the the managers are so like when they when they're bullying him and like saying all the anti-Semitic shit and like f- they've got the bulletin board where the 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 flyers pinned all the way up up at the top so no one can read it. It's just like so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. The
2: the details are so are so good, and and there's so much story contained in those yeah, like small. Right moments um i i I think too like i was like oh maybe you you could probably tell this scale of story in on tv well yeah but there would be a man i feel i kept being like okay if you made norma ray today like as a you know limited series or something it would have it would have to be so much darker i think sure Um, yes you
1: couldn't just have it be normal (laughs)
2: Yeah, there's like a tonal calibration in the film that I think is really lovely where it's like there are these moments of like darkness of, you know, someone dying on the job and this, that and the other thing. But but there is a there's like a heart to the movie that kind of comes through Mm -hmm. where it still feels like something that you could sort of watch like with your family maybe or like it just or or you can watch it without being like you know like I I just kept being like okay if you were going to make this now you would have to make it so much more sort of shocking um, in order for it to kind of cut through and and what does that say about us um nothing great but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, right yeah you
0: There'd right have be you like need to like trauma yeah. of like you need yeah. to sensationalize it more of like this was yeah. literally the worst factory ever <laughs> to exist. yeah
4: right? yeah or like and it,
2: or like that death on the job would be much more terrible right. to watch or yeah. like y- right. you just yeah like we just um I don't know I don't know exactly what that is um I mean it's
1: it's like the idea, the the idea isn't enough to penetrate that you need to like yeah. you know bolster it with Andy saying like the sense of like uh you know what do you uh it's like adding like blood or whatever to like the death like you're saying or like any any sort of
3: gore yeah it or is, even, yeah or even like again on the the indie sense you would have to make it like very like dialed I mean not dialed in, because that makes it sound like a negative comparison to this movie mm-hmm. but like very about like deep into the emotionality of it and have to like sort of dig into a sort of very grounded emotional headspace which I I, this movie is sort of you know it's sort of gritty and it has its moments of realism but it's also like a stirring movie starring like actors Mm -hmm. of different levels of fame like it it, it is not like ashamed to be a little you know exciting at times Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's like and it does, but it doesn't. It's like it can, it can sort of manage its calibration between not having to be too exciting or sensational, but also not being like too weighty and just making the whole thing very depressing. Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Which is not right.
3: like not to insult like Deborah Granick's movies, who I think is a master sure. filmmaker I love, but like *Winder's Bone* and *Leave No Trace* are pretty sad movies. Yeah, sure. Leave no, yeah. *Leave no Trace*. I
1: think there's a bit more. Brightness, right. but it, 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 they're they're both very intense.
0: Right. Uh, movies. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like I yeah I admire that. It, like, you don't have a sense of like how can anyone live like this when you're watching this movie, right? right? Yeah, like, yes. you get a sense of like these people, like they have, uh, like they have their certain like they have their lives that they they value and like you understand like they they really value that like that relationship to the textile and like that they've been working there for generations like and there is like there's something to celebrate there right and like you also like you 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 see them like the social occasions right like the, you know Sally field goes out drinking and like has a good time. And like, there's like a fun sure. social energy. And like, even when she's doing like off hours organizing, she's like meeting up with a bunch of people who are like, yeah, I got like complaints or whatever, but I drink to forget or what, like the nature of like the opposition to the union, I think is like, there's so many different tiers of it that are, I think, I think extremely well drawn. Mm-hmm. There is like the, like anti-Semitic racist, like all yeah. sort of stuff in there. And like, it doesn't let you forget that ever really. Like, there's so many like comments about Ron Liebman being Jewish and like yeah. being like, you know, Sally Field says he's the the first Jewish person well, yeah, she ever has seen for, like, in her life. I heard you had
1: horns,
0: right? Like, and and like that is a thing throughout. And like the way that the company plays off of like, you know, the people of color potentially like yeah, getting gonna, a leg up, and like they're like, well, they're they're trying to get ahead of you or whatever. And, like, yeah. like oh, it was yeah. very, yeah, it very really plainly deals with like that see? racism of that. But then there's also just like the sense of fatigue and the sense of like, it's not really worth it to fight for something more, for something better. Like, I have, I can, I can, I can get by on what is what I have now. And like, it's like, and if I let myself hope or fight or want more, then like the disappointment of that, like, I don't know how I can return to this. That, like, that sort of sense is also Mm -hmm. like, so just this like multi layered, like, why the organizing work needs to happen and why it is going to take so long and so much commitment and like step by step and build build it like you really do get that sense throughout the film of like all these different things they're fighting against as they are organizing this this, this yeah. union
3: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and it's like especially for sort of these sorts of union these kind of people i do think a lot of the times these sort of labor movements especially in sort of modern times it gets phrased are so like yeah we're gonna sort of like We're going to like dismantle or take down a system or capitalism or whatever. And I think the movie does a good job of just like seeing, explaining how these people just see it in plain terms. They're just like, well, we have a thing that we want, and we're going to organize to get that. And that is a very reasonable thing. Like, it's not like they're ever gonna like throw a Molotov cocktail through a window or whatever. But they're just like, they have a, they have a voice and like a power, and we have a power also, and we. Yeah. Deserve to exert it, and especially mm-hmm. I also think, speaking of just like the sort of mid-budgetness of this movie, I think the, the where it really interested me politically was with like the racial stuff and the stuff with uh, you know mm-hmm. even the treatment of women and just like yeah. right. the soli- the sort of solidarity they find because I do think that's another thing where it feels like if you made a movie like this now, it would maybe drill into that stuff a little too much where it would sort of yeah. feel like it would need to explain those things or just like draw battle lines between these people and I think it's actually to the movie's benefit to where it's like there there are sort of these lines the bosses are trying to draw to sort of break these people up in terms of solidarity but you know the workers are going to find the solidarity either way with through racial or like gendered barriers and it's like do you ever spend time with like the employee to like the employee of yeah. the union to figure out like whether they're racist and whether they have to have a change of heart to see the side of where they need to like be in solidarity with the black workers. Like, no, like you sort of get what they're fighting for. Even if you don't have, you don't have to drill down to every single one of these individuals. Yeah. Emotionals. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like maybe they are some racist, but they don't care. Like yeah. some people, this helps some people see the light. Maybe there is, a sort but of it's broader not, yeah. social, politic movement between these people. It's yeah. a sort of just a thing you get through the story.
4: Yeah,
2: that scene where they're all sitting in in uh, in her house and they're like all right. just. It's such an economical scene because they're, you know, instead of giving us, instead of making each of those, you know. In in the modern day limited series version of Norma Ray, yeah, every one of right. those people would have to be a character with like a full backstory and yeah. an arc that we're following all season and whatever. But it's so beautiful to just have like four or five people in a row mm. say a couple lines of dialogue that sums right. up their situation in a really particular characterful way, and it's so effective because you get you get that cross section of like the experiences of all these different people and from all these different walks of life and even just seeing everybody sitting together in the room, you know, is, is, is so powerful. And yeah, there's something, um, there's something kind of beautifully like subtle, um, about the movie and about how it handles like character work and how it handles exposition yeah. that I, I really admired. Yeah. And I, I feel like everything certainly like, you know, some, a lot of the, the sort of bent, uh, of the notes that I have been given, um, from execs have been, you know, always wanting things to be like just more and more sort of explicitly said or explicitly revealed to the audience. And it's like, no, like the audience can intuit actually the audience can, doesn't need, you know, life isn't constantly spelling itself out for us. Right. And so we shouldn't constantly be spelling things out for an audience because it's much more, compelling when we don't
1: yeah yeah Yeah. and i think the trust is like important
2: yeah yeah. the trust and the respect for the audience
3: yes exactly yeah and for a movie about labor organizing i think it's important because it's like i feel like people talk about this all the time with labor stuff where it's just like you shouldn't need to like go into a person's home and see their whole life for you to just be able to identify with whatever struggle they're going through like you just Working together and being a, a part of the same conditions or even different conditions, if you're showing solidarity with people from some other movements, it's just like you know they're going through some stuff and you have to support them because, like, yeah. they'll support you. And you don't need, but you don't, you shouldn't have to pry detailed about how much they are struggling and compare that because then that's like that causes more trouble oftentimes and it, you know, actually helps build up. Sympathy in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I do like picturing the very, it's like, it's extremely easy to do to picture the generic TV remake of Norma Ray. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, here's yeah. the whole episode on Grace Sibirsky's character. We're like, this is why she's a little mean. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. here's uh, <laughs> Bo Bridges' ex wife. Like, all this shuffle that we don't need. <laughs> totally. Like, you know, they did, like, what? The Black Narcissus remake, and, like, no one ever has seen that. Uh, it's, it's just a classic thing that it's, like, a streaming modern TV thing to do. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: Um, speaking of Beau
0: Bridges, I do want to talk about him for a little while, because I feel like we haven't talked about that thread of the movie at all. I do think, like, their relationship, that relationship between him and Norma is, like, so interesting. And mm-hmm. so, like, you know, so the background is, like, Norma has two kids uh from two different fathers i think one who like she was in a relationship with and he died and then another who like the guy was never really in the picture um and then he has a daughter as well and they sort of discover each other he he, like, meets her at the factory at first, but then he, like, gets another job somewhere else because he's, like, goofing around or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, they've given her a, a slightly better job to try to get her to shut up, um, which uh, turns all the workers against her, so she goes back down. Um, but, but yeah, so they, they form this, like, nice connection. They get married pretty quickly, yeah. right? And then it's sort of happening at parallel that she is also developing. And, like, or in fact, very early on, like, essentially their first date, like Ron Liebman comes yeah. and like crashes the, the end of it. Yes. Right. And so yes. this like this three relationship is like sort of entwined from the beginning of like she like it's sort of built into her relationship with Boat Bridges that like there is this other guy who's like by his very nature, he's in town temporarily, he has his own girlfriend, like there's all sorts of stuff. Um but um but the way the where that relationship ends, right? Sure. Where they she you know, she gets arrested or whatever, he and she comes home and like explains to the kids or whatever. Then she and, and Bo Bridges have a conversation where he's like, Well, did you cheat on me with him or whatever? And she's like, No, but he does like have a pull on me or whatever. She's like, I think about him. <laughs> right, I think yeah. about him, right? Which is so simple and yet like so powerful in terms of like what their relationship is. And like she says I think respons- she
2: says she says he's in my head. Yes. Which is yes, right,
0: so exactly. he's in my beautiful. Head. I love yes. that right. so much. And then, and then he's like, well, like, he sort of, like, processes that and is like, well, I, I'm with you. And, yeah. like, lies down and they lie down in bed. He's together. like,
1: no one else is ever in my head.
0: Right. He's like, well, I, that's not an issue for me, but, like, I'm sticking with you or whatever. Like, and, like, that, them lying together in bed after that conversation and, like, they start snuggling up to each other. I found it so very powerful and moving. Like, yeah. the nature of, like, him giving her that that freedom of, of him, like, letting her be her own person in that way. I feel mm-hmm. like it's so rare uh, in, uh, you know, in entertainment in general of, like, especially, like, you know, female characters or whatever, having that level of agency uh, where, well I mean, she's the lead of the movie, of course, so, like, there's they're going to do that by the nature of that. But, like, I don't know. Like, it's just so interesting to, like, to have her, like be that ambivalent but have it be okay and have the relationship be something that is like that you get the sense that they're gonna they're gonna stick it out they're gonna they're gonna power through uh yeah it's just like it's such a fascinating relationship and it is like you know it's like a third tier plot to the movie that i think like that that's like something that i really like about it's like how deep those stories go where it's like there's all these other layers happening at the same time
2: it's also really it's it's um that relationship unfolds in a like really surprising way. Like there's that right. scene early on when he is like pretty aggressive and almost yeah. violent in the kitchen. And he's like,
4: and and I
2: had str- such a strong feeling of like, oh God, okay, the abusive husband, now this yeah. is how it starts. Like he's gonna start hitting her. That's gonna be part of the movie, like da da da. And he has this sort of like initial tantrum, and she responds by like basically having a tantrum back and being like, "Here, you want me to do the fucking laundry? I am gonna right. throw it yeah, in the yeah, sink and yeah. squirt some soap on it." Right. Like, and she has this whole—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's such a surprising scene. Like, it's just, right. and it tells you so much about her because she doesn't know that it's not gonna get violent. She doesn't know that it's that he's not that kind of guy. But she just she she responds to his initial display of aggression with so much like like just like pluck and like like how dare you and like I'm yeah. going to dish it back to you and it right. tells you so much about her character and 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 it and it kind of puts that instinct in him to rest also because he goes oh she's a worthy like she's not going to take that shit like she's yeah. th- she's not that yeah. woman and um I just found that scene to be like such an important one in kind of um, setting up what, what you describe Andy, where, you know, he's able to sort of accept this in her, um, which I imagine was like a pretty progressive gender dynamic for the time too. Right. Um, sure, and yeah. still today, frankly, <laughs>
4: Yeah. but yeah. you know, um, yeah. yeah. There's that to... line,
1: I think right before they have the conversation where she's like, I, you know uh, he's on my mind um, where Ron Lehman is like, um yeah, he, he brings her back from uh the prison and he talks to Bo Bridges and he's like she held the sign up and like stood on the table. she's a free woman and like mm-hmm. the 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 whole thrust of that also teeing it up for for her to admit it all and Bo Bridges just having to accept
3: it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's like also yeah, what I mentioned with this movie, just in terms of both the grit and what I mentioned about the characters, it's just like it's not afraid to depict these people's warts. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like for this to be yeah. a struggle between like these union workers and the and the bosses. It doesn't feel like well these people need to be the saints and these people are the devil. Yes, it's like yeah. good enough to be like well a uh, plenty of these people have flaws. Like Bo just has flaws. Norma Ray herself, she's not like a perfect person. Which mm-hmm. is, it's very good when the scene where uh, mm-hmm. the sort of union bosses come down, like, right? To, and they're like, yeah, there, right? so room good. Oh, and yeah, that, they're that, like, that, yeah, yeah. And Lieb, thats like my favorite Liebman scene, where he's just like, "Is she? Are we gonna canonize her?" Or yeah, we he's gonna...
1: like, yeah. If "She got ra- rounded heels. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, she <laughs> is working hard for the union. It's, it is, it is like uh, another aspect, like you're saying, that is like shockingly progressive, especially like, and still." Totally.
2: Totally. Yeah. 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 The way his his anger, like the the righteousness that he kind of goes off with in that scene is like really like I'm like, hell yeah. Like, yeah, (laughs) Men,
4: take note. (laughs) (laughs) You know, defend
2: these kind of spurious attacks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, he's very tight. He that's just like field is great. She gives a great performance. She like m- really makes her feel very lived in. But Lievman, he's just very funny and tired the whole movie. Yes. Yeah, I was yeah. really, yeah, I really did watch the movie and was like, why have I seen like nine movies this guy? Yeah, right.
0: The scene where uh, he like, she like gets mad at the guy who's late, and then he sends her away. And then she like goes to the diner and gets like a cup of coffee and a piece of pie, and he starts eating her pie, and yeah. then like go- leaves and is like, "I'm not paying for that. Like you ordered it. Yeah, and she's, like you ate it. Like he's like, yeah, he's a real funny like, th- and, and like obvi- like you see how he has to have this attitude where he is just constantly running into, like, uh, like the anti semitism and yeah. then this like from from both the workers he is trying to organize and the bosses that he is you know, trying to organize against. And then also just like, yeah, the general resistance, the way that he is like, he has to be quick to be like, I'm ready to go call a lawyer right now. Like the intricacies of like being ready to like go to court over any given thing. And like being able to quote the, 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 the the, the section of the law to them that like, he is like about to enforce or whatever. Like, you you see so how so much this work has shaped him and his per- and how his personality is suited to that work and how the work has also continued to shape his personality. Yeah. I think. Um yeah, it's like um, a perfectly drawn character for for that job, I
3: think. Yeah. And that scene where like after she screams at the guy is also like, Yeah, that's another good union scene of just like him having to teach her the lesson of just like this isn't about who's here working the hardest. Yeah. Like I guess if we're doing a union it's about trying yeah. to help each other regardless of our circumstances so if you're oh. gonna sit here and just shout at people then that's like not really helping
1: yeah
2: right 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 yeah or he's
1: like go take a walk like go outside like you gotta chill out
3: yeah and it's like yeah and then they go to the diner and he's funny and he eats the pie <laughs> yeah. and it's just like yeah it's like this is a clearly a guy who's been who's good at diffusing this sort of situation because yeah. that's like what he needs to do because if not he would get shot up all the sure, time sure yeah mm-hmm. uh and a movie that this did remind me of, because we obviously we were having to talk about like who's making normal mid-budget movies. Yeah. We talked about him a little like before, but like I think Soderbergh, I think in this it's part of his career, that's mm. what he's trying to do. He's just trying to make movies just like s- relatively didactic, normal movies, like especially post-retirement. And it, this this did remind me of uh, Aaron Brockovich, of just like. Sure. A about, yeah. Like, that uh,
1: brassy, like, yeah,
3: yeah just like th- these people fighting for a thing, and it's this guy, but he doesn't know the land, so he needs to get this, like, brassy lady to be, never seen that be a spoke that person. That, movie. oh, I mean. that movie's Lynch. tremendous, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, really good. So
2: good. it's really good, yeah.
1: Well, I think, yeah, it's easy that... to
2: forget, it's easy to forget that, um, Julie Roberts is like a fucking bang up actress, movie star Absolutely. for a reason, like, because I think sometimes people get so. Eclipsed by their movie stardom, that like, and some movie stars are really kind of just movie stars and not necessarily like, you know, and that is also a skill set. I'm not saying that's not like that charisma is particular, but I think with her, she's so famous that sometimes you forget and then you go back and you watch these performances and you're like, oh, damn, like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah,
4: there's a reason for all that.
3: I've talked. We've talked on this podcast about like Dark Waters and my favorite genre. Yes, they, I did. Think they about Dark they, Waters. <laughs> they knew movies and like Aaron Brockovich is a classic. They knew. Movies. Yeah.
1: Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, yeah. I think unless we have more to say about Norma Rae, I, uh, I mean Sally Field's hair absolutely. Sure. Genius. Oh, um, glorious! So jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. That was my other superficial comment. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, we when she's on. getting,
2: I particularly noticed it when they're, like, muscling yeah. her into the cop car. I was yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. she's like a Pantene commercial. Yeah, it's like so bouncy. Like, yeah.
4: You know, it's like, she's <laughs> screaming for her life,
2: and it's just, like, yeah. beautiful, shiny pearls. <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah.
0: Um, then with that, let's move on to uh, special presentations, of course, where we shout out uh, something else that we have uh, experienced recently that we want to talk about uh does anyone have anything they would like to jump in on first
1: i can go first okay i watched a short film recently yesterday um directed by who from our first shortsgiving he directed and we all shine on which was an experimental short film uh michael robinson he made the short called light is waiting that is an episode of full house uh it's the one i mean if you know full house it's the one where uh, DJ and Kimmy drop the TV off and it breaks because they're trying to move it between two rooms uh, up the stairs. And it's just like this little clip of Full House, and as soon as the TV breaks, it's just like a crazy light show. Um, And then eventually, like, breaks back from the light show and is like sort of kaleidoscopic edit of the Full House episode on top of itself and like refracted. Uh, And it is, I will 100% warn anyone, it's on Vimeo, you can watch it. Uh, it is a very visually intense, like, bright flashing light strobe warning. I was watching it, and I was like, I might go blind. This is so <laughs> intense because it's just, like, 15 minutes of pure, like, flashing light. Well, but, yes, it's just very, very intense, very uh, but very rewarding and just very exciting to see something uh, like that. It's from, I think, 2000? 2000, yeah, 2007. Um, but just a great short film that is a, a, a real trip. Great. Um, I can go.
0: Um, I uh, I had the chance this week to see the national tour of uh, Aaron Sorkin's To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, which came to town, uh, which is uh, a rare treat to see a, a non-musical uh, tour come into town. Uh, it stars Richard Thomas currently. He's been on the whole tour, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, I, To Kill a Mockingbird, obviously everyone has like read it, their freshman year of high school or whatever. I also, one of my early jobs after college was I worked for a a, a theater where uh, I helped manage a touring company that was doing three shows, one of which was a different adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. So I was familiar with it on stage, but this like Sorkin adaptation was brand new. Uh, You know, it's, it's very interesting in the way that it attempts to like reckon with the, the, the text from a current moment and it also, like, and it is very Sorkin-y where it is, like, he, like, is, like, oh, there's a trial in this? Like, let's have the trial front, middle, and uh, What if the Chicago back. 7 were involved? Right. <laughs> you know, I did think about the Chicago 7 movie a little bit watching it. Just, like, because I think it does, it, it's, the way it reckons with, with like, you know, justice and, and all that is, is interesting in conversation with Chicago 7, in my opinion. Which is a movie um, I like more than many
1: people. Um, I mean, how is the uh, stagecraft? Do they have to, like, put in, uh... Treadmills for all these walk-and-talks?
0: Okay. <laughs> um, no, you know, the, there was uh, a lot of, like, the, the, people, the set changes from the courtroom to, like, the home or whatever, so there's a lot of that. The, I'm not sure the conceit of, like, the kids being played by older actors or whatever totally worked for me as, like, a memory play for them or whatever. Uh, but I do think, like, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff in it. I think it's well worth seeing if it's coming to your town. It does, you know, it's, Kill Mach- it, for, it's a three-hour play, and it flies by. <clears throat> um, I think it's well worth checking out if it's in your neck of the woods. Uh, Aaron Sorkin's *To Kill a Mockingbird*, directed by
1: Bartlett Sher. Great,
0: uh, Emilio, Emily,
3: either of you. I, uh, I guess we're in a theatery mood, so I guess I'll just plug something I saw about a month ago. At this point, almost sure. a month ago, but uh, as listeners may know, I went to London recently and I uh, saw *Brokeback Mountain*. I saw. Uh, mike feist and uh lucas he's hedges edged. mike he feist mike
2: oh he's still my heart <laughs> i'm obsessed with him i think he's a freaking genius i you know if you hear this uh, Mike,
0: give me a call i yeah, have roles yeah. for you he has, please come today. on the show Royal mike <laughs> you're here <right. laughs> yeah,
4: it's, too,
1: it's too close we only asked him on for a uh, west side story and he said no
3: <laughs> oh. uh but yeah that was good I mean, similar to what Andy said there at the end, uh, it maybe gets Brokeback Mountain, which is a thing I have weirdly become intimately familiar with over the years. It sort of becomes a memory play in a way that doesn't fully work. They make a very weird adaptation decision with it. Uh, it is also famously a play with music which nobody knows what it mean, what that meant until it, the play started. And it's just there's a band there that plays songs that are kind of related to what's happening, but not really. Uh, and that was also kind of weird because it sort of, like, gave the play a weird score. But, you know, the <laughs> acting was great. I saw it at this incredibly small theater where I was just, like, if I just, like, reach out my hand, I could have touched somebody. That was crazy. Yeah. Uh, Intimate theaters are the best. It's so crazy. Yeah, I mean it was truly like I I think it's called like the Soho place in London where it's like you know 360 people are watching from all around square space in the middle of the theater. People are running in and out from all directions. You can watch Mike face cover his balls while he runs out naked from from one corner God of the bless. theater to another. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Mike Face really tremendous in it. Lucas Hedges, good but less good than Mike Face. No, <laughs> sure. Um,
2: well,
4: Emily, yes. Okay,
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna stay on brand and say um, uh, one I, one thing I will present is the Entertainment Community Fund, which is um, <clears throat> the uh, fund that uh, folks can donate to if they're interested in supporting uh, entertainment workers who are affected by the strike. Um, Whether that's, you know, support staff, um, crew, you know, anybody can sort of apply to the fund for um, a grant to help them through this time. Um, So that's like a really important um, resource for our community. Um, And then the other thing that I think is related to a lot of the things we've been talking about, labor, capitalism, uh, all those things. There's this book I'm reading called Saving Time by Jenny O'Dell who also wrote How to Do Nothing, which I found to be a really um, beautiful book. Um, Saving Time is all about sort of deconstructing um, our sort of modern sense of time scarcity and where does it come from and and really kind of um, chronicling like, I mean, the, the big takeaway for me so far about halfway through the book is just that, you know, Clocks and sort of our ideas mm. of time are inextricable from capitalism, right? We didn't really sure. start using clocks um, until people realized that it could be a way to extract ever more labor from workers, and um, so you know, as I'm sort of in my <laughs> in my union era, um, yeah. I'm really you know just thinking a lot about these, you know, my own my own anxieties about time, my own sort of um, the illusion of time pressure and time scarcity that I feel like I am often working under. Um, Even though I'm a person who actually has a lot of discretionary time, I still find myself feeling uh, like time poor. And I think it's because, you know, there's just so many like fragmentation, uh, there's so many things that fragment our attention and fragment our experience yeah. of time now. But this book has been, I think, like a really um, useful sort of companion to this this struggle and just thinking about, you know, mm-hmm. what our rights are as workers and as human yeah. beings and the role that labor plays in our lives and all that jazz. So I would recommend that.
4: Great.
0: Well, uh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. This was like really, such a treat. It's so good to see you. Such a treat. And, uh, (laughs) yeah. Please come back anytime. Um, Thank you so much
2: for having me. Yeah. 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 Anything else you'd like
0: to plug, uh, personally? Um, I can't plug, uh, you know, the,
2: Uh, the one, I mean, the one thing I I do have like a little bit of theater stuff coming up. I'm doing a reading of a play of mine at, um, New York stage and film, uh, this summer, um, in July, it's a play called soft target. Um, and mm. it's near and dear to my heart and we're doing a, a reading as part of their summer festival uh July twenty second, uh in Poughkeepsie, New York. And nice. otherwise, you know, I'll have lots of work to plug on the other side of the strike. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. Thank you guys so much for having me.
1: Yes. Yep. Uh an absolute pleasure. Uh with that though, if you want to follow any of us uh or the podcast, excuse me, on Twitter, you can do so at Can I Kick It. We're also on Letterboxd and Instagram at C-I-K-I-P-O-D. Um, you can email us questions and comments at canikickitpod at gmail.com. And um, our coffee page is ko-fi.com slash And then as far as us, I am on Twitter at clatchley. Andy's Andy T-Germ. Emilio is I'm Laugh Alone. And then I guess since Jesse's not here... I will
4: now release the audience. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.